You're listening to The Big Show with Patrick Dumas on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Big Show Hour 4 continuing here on your Thursday morning live from the Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Cracked foundation, Boeing foundation walls. We have a simple, permanent solution to stabilize your foundation. Contact Basement Systems. They are all things basementy. Visit dlbasementsystems.com. We go down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Keep the keep the guests rolling through on this Thursday. Uh, we're joined by uh, Raptors Everyman for Sportsnet, Michael Grange. Michael, thank you for taking some time out of your morning and uh, chatting some uh, Raptors. So yeah, come deal with me. Oh, happy to, happy to do it. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem, buddy. Uh, so, yeah, they win last night. Big win under, obviously, a lot of noise and, obviously, some sadness. Uh, you got the Siakam trade, um, obviously, which is an end of an era for for Raptors fans, a member of uh, the 2019 uh, NBA title of uh, finals winning team. And then, of course, uh, Golden State assistant uh, Dejan Milojevic uh, passed away, who, who Raptors head coach Darko Rajahokov. <laughs> Rajkovic, uh knew very well. Uh, your thoughts on the win over the Heat, and uh, because of that, obviously, a uh, uh, win under very uh, clouded circumstances, of course, yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you just can't predict sports, right? Like, if you just would not have uh, looked at uh, the Raptors going into that game, having traded uh, Siakam and being still without Jakob Pertl, who's been out with an ankle injury and having lost four straight since he's been out and playing a pretty good Miami team, uh, so, you know, not only did they win, but they were up by 35 at half. And, and you know, they really, uh, it was just a dominant uh, first half anyway. And, and, and you're right. I mean, the, it was a very strange day. I mean, uh, you know, it's always tough when a guy like Siakam has been here a long time, uh, longest serving Raptor, last, you know, significant piece from the championship team uh, gets traded. And, and, uh, and then... You know the point you're making there regarding uh, the passing of uh, of Decky, the head coach or an assistant coach for Golden State, who you know Dark Aryakovich grew up with him. You know in the Serbian basketball community, Ivo Simovic, who's uh, one of the Raptors' assistants, is also you know was grew up close with him, and and then uh, Jama Malalela, um, you know another Raptors' assistant, worked with Decky in Golden State for the past two seasons. So it was a very, those guys were carrying a real emotional weight yesterday. It was uh, very, very um, palpable. And, um, you know, but like I said, you just never know what's going to happen when a ball goes up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Raptors just played with a lot of heart and played really free. And, uh, you know, they were able to get a win. Yeah, for sure. Happy to see it under under all those circumstances, of course. But, we yeah, we talk about the big news. Pascal Siakam, the air is over, traded to the Indiana Pacers. Uh, for three first-round picks, uh, Bruce Brown Jr., uh, Jordan Nwara, Kira Lewis Jr. Uh, via New Orleans. Now, this was a, a trade that feels like it's been going on a couple years now with the rumors surrounding surrounding Pascal, and it finally culminates in a deal with Indiana yesterday. How did we get to this point? Um, I think it just comes down to a couple of factors. Um, you know, one is the Raptors and, you know, didn't want to pay Siakam what Siakam believed he deserved and what he was worth and you know uh, you know it's not that the Raptors were trying to cheap out on it they they wanted to they had offered him a, a three-year contract at 125 million dollars an extension for three years uh, heading at the start of last season which was the most at that time they could have offered him 
And at that time, Pascal, you know, he was coming off an all-NBA season. And if he had got another all-NBA season, he would have been eligible for what they call a supermax contract. So it would have been mm-hmm. 35% of the salary cap and about another, you know, uh, $50 million, really. And so, you know, that so he rejected the, the contract offer. And kind of in those in the space of that, that negotiation, it had been, you know, the Raptors kind of made their point that they didn't want, you know, Barring, you know, Pascal Siakam winning the MVP and taking the Raptors to the conference finals um, or further, you know, they, they really didn't want to go above the, the 30% in three years, 30% of the salary cap in a three-year deal. Yeah, that's fair. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, Pascal wanted wanted more. And uh, they just couldn't have come to an agreement on that. And, and so in the end, when you know, in that situation, you know, a trade almost becomes inevitable. Um, and, but I think the other element that happened is, you know, because as you point out, this has been discussed as certainly by, you know, the middle of last year, um, and at the trade deadline. And then certainly last summer, um, by kind of waiting this long, there is a legitimate question if the Raptors kind of hurt, uh, what they could have got Mm -hmm. in terms of an overall return, um, the, uh, you know, because in the meantime, you know, Pascal was a pending free agent so teams aren't necessarily going to pony up everything they can they can offer for for a guy who may not sign there um and then also just generally the nba economic picture has shifted a little bit and and you know players who command teams have to be very careful about handing out really high-end contracts because the uh, penalties for going deep into the luxury tax are getting more and more severe and so uh the market was kind of cool in that respect it's kind of like the nba raised interest rates you know and also <laughs> the housing prices and we can all relate a little bit so um uh you know so that's that's how it all ended up in this place and um you know that's that's uh, that's what we're talking about today uh we're, we 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 heard sacramento was interested maybe pascal didn't want to go there i think golden state dallas were also maybe poking around was did it feel like okay? Well, Indiana, this was the best offer because obviously you, there's no there's no Ben Mathurin in this trade. There's no Andrew Nembhard, two Canadians that I think Raptor fans would obviously love to have around. But it, it, you're saying like it's just the case that they, they waited too long, and this is yeah. You, at least you got something for a player that was was going to walk on July one. Yeah, I think it's really crucial they did get something, um, you know, and I think you know the. The Sacramento example is a pretty good one. Like they, they weren't going to throw into their deal anything, you know, that would have been really significant in a return. You know, like you look at some of their young players, uh, Keegan Murray's the, the primary one. You know, you would have thought typically in a deal like this, you're trading an All NBA player. Well, yeah, you give me your best young player, and, and we'll call it even. <clears throat> you know, the Sacramento never felt the need to go in on that deal, and. And they, even at the back end of it, weren't going to be sure that Siakam that there was going to be, you know, a guarantee of any kind of contract at the end of it. So, you know, so Siakam wasn't obviously going to be giving any assurances about wanting to go there. So it just, the whole uncertainty around his future contract status made everything very tenuous. And, you know, there certainly were a lot of teams asking. I think Dallas might have been the most likely next scenario, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, in the end, I think the Raptors made the judgment that uh, getting these draft picks and, and I think there's also an element of financial flexibility they get because um, Bruce Brown, 
Um, he's a good player, you know, but mm-hmm. he's, he's probably more valuable to a team that's further along towards contending than where the Raptors are now. Um, you know, his contract's not guaranteed for next year. So, you know, they could, they can end up with a bunch of picks or three picks and, you know, the potential to have a significant amount of cap space in the summer. So I think that's in the end, probably the direction the Raptors chose to go to. I think the fact that, as you point out, um, you know, you look at that, Pacers roster and you know you have Vander Menhart, Ben Matherin and and you know those guys stand out because they're Canadian and they're also quite good mm-hmm. um, they also have three or four other um, guys sort of 24 25 and under who are part of the rotation who <clears throat> could be interesting young pieces to, to have in it that you'd want to get in a deal like that and the fact they didn't have to throw in any of them really speaks to how cool the market was for all the circumstances I just described the legacy for for Pascal in Toronto, obviously, it's a franchise that you know has only been around since 1995. They don't have a a long history, but you know, then you can kind of pick and choose who like are the greats of this franchise. Where do you think Pascal shakes out when it's all said and done in 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 all time Raptors greats? So obviously, a member of the 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 lone championship team. He's he's maybe right up there. With, I don't know if he's right there with Kyle, but like I think he he should totally be in consideration for for a top certainly a top 10 player in franchise history, but where do you think his legacy is with, with the Raptors? This is a late first round pick back in 2016 from Cameroon. We know his upbringing and everything. So it was just a really good story. And I think Raptor fans just kind of gravitated towards, towards Pascal because they've been burnt on, on so many of their players that became stars that wanted out. And he signed again to sign. And then, you know, and now it's, it's, it's obviously gone, but where do you think it's his legacy is in Toronto? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, um, you know, I think if you were doing a Raptors all-time top five, he'd be on it. Um, and, you know, and then there's a bunch of different circumstances as to where he would actually rank. I think, you know, Kyle Lowry's pretty much acknowledges the, the number one yeah. Raptor of all time for both his achievements and longevity. And, you know, Kawhi Leonard's probably the best Raptor who's ever played mm-hmm. here. Um you know, and then you get Vince, but his his run here was pretty short. Demar, I think, would be very very high for me. Um, what about Bosch? So, yeah, I mean, I mean, and Bosch should be, he'd be right there. I mean, yeah. again, but I think Siakam's, you know, his teams did a lot better when when he was there than Chris Bosch's did. And, yep. Um, you know, I think Siakam's term here was a little bit longer too. So, you know, I probably have him. You know, Kawhi in a separate category. I probably have it uh, worse than fourth, really, mm-hmm. and certainly in your top five and. Um, and as you point out, like it's, there was no reason, I shouldn't say no reason, but I mean, I mean, you know, it could have easily worked out that, that, you know, Sackham signs another deal here and he plays his entire prime and he ends up challenging DeMar DeRozan as the all-time leading scorer and, and, uh, a bunch of other marks too. So, but I think symbolically what he really represents is, you know, you look at the team's you know, not only the team that won, but the team that won 60 games the season before, the team that, yep. uh, or sorry, sorry, 59 games the season before, the team that, you know, went to the bubble and, um, you know, was on pace to win 60 games. Those teams were driven by uh, just an incredible run of talent acquisition in kind of unusual places, right? Like Pascal was taking 27th. Mm-hmm. OG Ananobi was, uh, I think he was 23rd, if I'm not mistaken. Fred Van Vliet undrafted, Norm Powell, second round pick. Um, you know, I might be missing somebody in there too. And um, you look at, you know, and then you have Pascal taking 27th and becoming an all NBA player. And I think 
Um, you know, that's an incredible credit to the Raptors for identifying guys who are maybe a little bit overlooked and have, I think, you know, the common thread with all those guys is just an incredible drive to be the best they could be. And, you know, the Raptors, so, you know, they took advantage of it. The Raptors gave them the platform and um, they're all tremendous success stories. And I would say I could argue that, that Pascal is probably the, you know, the, the most symbolic of, of that um, period in Raptors history and, and what, you know, that all that success was built on. So, um, you know, and, and, and like, it's, you know, it's kind of, we sometimes overlook, you know, what a guy means off the floor, but, you know, a lot of these athletes, you know, a lot of them do really cool and special things in the community. They put in their time and, and, you know, and raise money and do some good stuff. But, you know, Pascal was, he was as innovative and as committed to that, pro, that, pro, that off court stuff yep. as anyone ever seen here. You know, it was uh, really targeted, education-based, yes, uh, tech-based stuff, and he partnered with multiple universities to create um, scholarship opportunities. And and the you know with with you know younger students too. He was, he, you know, it was a really well-rounded approach. And uh, to his credit, he says he's going to keep his foundation here, which is a, a benefit for the city. And uh, like I said, he'll be missed for a number of reasons. Yeah, and he'll be uh, he'll be back around uh, in Toronto on Valentine's Day of all days. So uh, that's uh, that's that's quite a day for that the Pacers coming uh, into Toronto. So it's essentially it's Scotty Barnes' team now. Uh, they added R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, who I think a lot of people think Quickly is going to be a future All Star, and I think he's just going to keep taking off. Obviously, R.J. Barrett's a hell of a player as well. Is this a good leap off base for how the Raptors want to start things? Is a Scotty Barnes' team? You've got good pieces now with R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly. You've got draft capital now. Jakob Hurdles, uh, you know, obviously hurt right now, but he'll be back. Grady Dick, you want to see him continually uh, to progress and get better. Is this a good leaping off base for Masai and Bobby Webster to, I guess, enter the next Raptor era? Well, I guess it's not bad, um, you know, and then, like, you hate to live with hindsight, but you kind of just wonder had some of these decisions been made sooner and a little more decisively, yeah. maybe the return, you know, I think, I think you can look at the OG and OB trade and go, there's a number of reasons that trade out trade worked out really well for both teams. So, um, you know, I think the return as it relates to Pascal is, you know, this draft, sure. You've got three picks, uh, two of them right now, I think of the draft is tomorrow. One would be 20th and one would be 28th or something like mm-hmm. that. And you don't so, even have your draft. first because that's top six protected and you're probably not going to be a top six worst team. Right, and the reason they don't have it is because yeah. they traded out of this draft because it was projected to be so weak, and mm-hmm. I don't think that's changed. So mm-hmm. so I think, you know, you never know. You never know who, you know, it only takes one player in a draft to, to change your franchise, and, you know, they're going to have multiple chances to get that guy. So um, that's positive, I suppose. I think the fact they got a tw- lightly protected 2026 pick it should be good like that's a that's a real that's a real pickup um but i think the real way to judge this trade is going to be how they use you know how they maneuver from this position so the raptors have a lot of pretty interesting veteran players on expiring or relatively short-term deals and do you package some of those contracts with some of these excess picks and land uh good young players that can you know kind of fill the profile or match the profile of quickly uh rj scotty in other words young players 
who have a lot of upside still, but are already NBA proven. And, you know, I think that's the real emphasis here is unless something changed, you know, there's no appetite to kind of peel to the bottom and do a rebuild. It's really about trying to kind of accelerate um, and build a team around Scotty Barnes that is, you know, fitting in terms of on-court fit mm-hmm. and also in terms of their age timeline. And so if they can use some of these, these draft assets, use some of the, uh, you know, some of the kind of contracts they have, um, they have an opportunity to create quite a bit of cap space this summer. Maybe that turns into an interesting opportunity. And so if we're standing here at training camp next year and out of this process, if not directly out of this trade, you know, you've added, uh, you know, another really good young player who's under team control, as they say, and maybe, you know, another prospect out of all of that, then you can kind of go, okay, well, I, it took, it wasn't a linear thing, but, you know, they, they went A, B, C, E, uh, but they eventually got there. Um, you know, then then the trade will look a little better than it just does on, on a pure asset basis right now. So they, they've moved, uh, they moved the UFAs, the pending UFAs. I guess there's still some business I guess they can still do. Is Gary Trent Jr., and obviously we talked about Bruce Brown maybe being flipped here. Are those the next two players that we'd expect to be on the move, or is Gary Trent kind of a guy that the Raptors see wanting to be a part of this era? Yeah, I mean, Gary's a guy who could go either way. Yeah. I mean, he's still quite young. I think he's 24, maybe 25. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think... In, he's a pending free agent. I don't know if he's a guy who's going to command a giant, you know, a giant contract in free agency. And he does have a couple of clear strengths that are very useful. I mean, shooting and most specifically. So, you know, there's a guy I could see, yeah, no, he fits in and then he's a guy we want to keep around and we can do it at a reasonable dollar conversely. Right. Like he's a guy that a lot of teams go, mm-hmm. wow, he, we could use him as our rotation and, and let's make that happen. Um, you know, Bruce Brown is a player like he's a, you know, he's a really good player. He's clearly proven to be able to help teams that win titles as he did with Denver last year. So, and he's still pretty young. He's only 27. So maybe he's a guy you kept, keep around on a reasonable deal. Maybe he's a guy you, uh, you move to a contender close to the deadline because, you know, he offers something to a team that's ready to win that, that might be more valuable to what he is to the Raptors now. Um, and then you kind of go through the rest of that roster. You know, Dennis Schroeder only has a year left on his deal. Mm-hmm. He's a guy who, uh, could kind of round out a team trying to win. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. is a guy who could kind of end up on a team that's trying to win. So, you know, there's a few other names like that. But, um, you know, I, I think maybe for me the best case scenario here is if he can kind of put together some of his draft capital, cobble together a couple of these contracts, or turn them into cap space in the summertime. And if you can, like I said, you go shopping around some of these teams that are bumping up against the luxury tax or the second apron. And, you know, they're trying to get off uh, a long-term contract with a good player because they're changing directions. You know, maybe the, the Raptors are a team that can benefit from that process. Uh, talk to me a little bit about, uh, about Grady Dick. Uh, this past year's first rounder, taking him 13th overall out of Kansas, shot the lights out there. He was, he was shooting pretty good last night in his in his few minutes of action as well. Is, is this these type of trades opening up good for him? Like it's going to see him get more minutes? Because I think uh, I, I think I, I was you know going on X, looking at Twitter and whatnot. Like people were were going after Grady Dick for for really no reason. I think people have to realize there's. In the NBA, it takes a lot, a little bit longer for these guys to develop because there really isn't 
yeah, I guess you have the G League as, as, as a developmental point, but really, it, it is tough to see these guys struggle for, for fans, and I don't think they realize it takes time for rookies to get to where they want to be. Where are you seeing with Grady Dick? Because I think this guy can be a player for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that you can. there's two ways you can kind of look at that, and one is, you're right, I think if you just look at Grady as what he is, which is a just-turned-19-year-old, or maybe sorry, just turned twenty-year-old uh, guy who really wasn't projected to to come out after his first year of college. He kind of kind of kind of ran up the draft boards based on a, a surprisingly good first year. Um, and so you you know, kind of and just accept the fact that okay, he's he's a young player. Knowing he was not projected to be a a big factor in anyone's rotation this season, and really it's about where is Grady Dick when he's twenty-three, twenty-four, mm-hmm. twenty-five years old. That's what really matters. Um, I think there's every reason to still be optimistic. I mean, uh, he's, he's a really smart kid. He's a very committed worker. He's getting really good individual coaching and instruction. Um, you know, and and like last night being an example of him, look, you know, some of it is taking hold, right? And and physically, he's very simply, he's just got to get bigger and stronger and fill out. Yep. And you can't rush that. So that's one way to look at it. There's no reason to be down on him yet because um, – you know, his future is very much untold. I think um, the other way to look at it is he was taken 13th and there are mm-hmm. at least three, maybe four guys taken, you know, within four or five picks of him who have been more effective for their teams this year. And in a couple of cases, you're like, you know, you look at uh, Jaime Vasquez in, in Miami and, you know, he was taken, I think, 18th. Yep. He's a four-year player at UCLA. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if Grady gets anywhere close to the level he's producing right now in the next two, three years, like, it's, there's no guarantee. Like, that kid's, all, like, you know, that kid's already showing that he can be a quality NBA rotation player now. And, uh, you know, and so that's why I think where people's frustration come from is, is you know, Brzezinski and Golden State's another example. Like, there's a few of them. And so you kind of go, well, uh, better players, players who are performing at a higher level were taken after him. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why, you know, maybe this wasn't the right pick. All of which is to say is, you know, you can't evaluate this stuff properly now. I still think there's great, all the reasons that the Raptors took Grady Dick hold. I think he's got high IQ, high character. Um, he's got good size at his position and he's, what he does best is one of the most valuable things in the league right now. So um, if he's struggling to this degree a year from now, well, you know, we'll have a different conversation, but but let's leave it to that. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for uh, taking some time out of your morning and chatting some Raptors with me. Uh, I know Masai will be speaking uh, to the media here in uh, an hour and a half or so, and then uh, Raptors back at it tonight. Welcoming DeMar DeRozan uh, to Scotiabank Arena. All the best. All right. Thank you. Take care.